0: Hey folks and welcome back to Jinx, the Pat Higgins film podcast for our second, second show. Thank you ever so much to everybody who listened to our first show last week where we had the fabulous Charlie Bond on as our guest. And we talked about Power Cheerleaders versus the Boy Band of the Screeching Dead, which is my current movie and Charlie's, uh, which we will be going into production very, very soon. Today I want to talk about personal obsessions a little bit. I want to talk about a couple of moments in cinematic history that might seem insignificant to some, but are things that made an impact on me. Anybody who spent any time hanging out with me will have probably heard these stories before. Tough, gonna to tell them again because I think any film fan or anybody who goes to work in the industry is hugely impacted by a couple of things when they're growing up and those things lay the seeds for their ultimate careers. I think it, I can't see any other way it can happen. And the way that it happened for me, as anybody who follows me on Twitter or has done for any period of time will probably know, is due to the octopus that got cut out of the Goonies. That that was really one of the very first definitive moments in my film watching career And it set the tone for a lot of stuff that happened afterwards. I think um, probably going back before the octopus that got cut out from the Goonies, it's probably fair to say that it actually started, this anecdote started with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. My mum took me to see a cinematic re-release of the 1954 Richard Fleischer version back in the 70s. Now, common sense tells me this must have been around 1978 when I was four, but the official release date... Of That re-release was apparently 76 which would have placed me at the age of two I can't believe that's right, but I've never been able to make the the numbers quite add up either way I got taken to see 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and I treated it like a a brand new movie I had no idea that it was a film that was nearly um, Or was over 20 years old should I say didn't have that context I just wanted to see the movie I'd seen advertised with the squid in it my mum uh, took me to see a lot of Genre movies when I was a kid until I reached such an age that I could safely be abandoned in the cinema on my own uh, Which was something I was pushing for when I used the term abandoned I was pushing really really hard from fairly early age to just be let to go to the cinema and back then That happened a lot kids used to be in cinemas on their own from relatively young ages You don't really see it nowadays uh, Since we're much more conscious of not leaving children unattended But at that particular point, um, I used to push to go to the cinema all the time. And mum said, we've been to the cinema a lot recently. And I would say, well, can I go on my own then? And she'd say, well, no, I'll just take you this time. And the date at which she (laughs) finally relinquished and let me start going to the cinema on my own may have been accelerated by uh, her not particularly wanting to see... uh, Krull, um, or potentially Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone for the second time. I'm not quite sure what the the break-off date was, but anyway, during my early years, mum used to take me a lot, and she sat through movies over and over and over again, and I'm incredibly grateful. Anyway, my four-year-old or two-year-old self, whichever one it was, depending on how the numbers work, had been looking forward to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for a long time, and that reason... The single reason that I wanted to go had tentacles and a snapping yellow beak. Because there were TV ads, and the TV ads for the uh, re-release had focused on the squid fight scene so much that I think little me was genuinely expecting giant squid the movie rather than the kind of well-meaning but possibly slightly slow-paced Jules Verne adaptation that unrolled before me. And as a result, I fidgeted, and I fidgeted a lot. I think it might have been... uh (laughs) this may have been the reason that I suspect I spent the majority of the film engaged in a thoughtful discussion regarding the narrative that was going on with my mum and that discussion was probably something along the lines of will the squid be here soon every couple of minutes throughout most of the movie but when those tentacles finally edged onto the screen and in fact I can remember that two seconds really really clearly just the point where the squid just edges into shot and I actually thought oh my god it's actually happening and I fell silent because how could I not I was completely and utterly transfixed this huge rubber bastard was glorious I left feeling that I'd seen the single greatest sequence that's ever been filmed and the tiny seeds of cheerful fanboy obsession was scattered onto the fertile soil of my preschool mind. And without seeing that squid attack, who knows, maybe today I'd be the kind of guy who felt more comfortable with a rugby ball in my hand than a box of popcorn. Maybe I'd have never fallen in love with film. Of course, this was the days before VHS, and so it was years before I actually got to see the squid attack sequence again. And in the meantime, I hunted for memorabilia and for photos, and more than that, I hunted for more movies that had enormous rubber cephalopods in them. I remember getting like the Viewfinder, uh, not Viewfinder, what i talking about, Viewmaster. Did anybody else have this deal? You know, the little kind of red camera type thing where you push down the lever and you'd look at different 3D pictures. There was a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, one of them, where you can probably find images for it online if you look around, where instead of being stills from the movie, which was kind of what I'd expected when I bought it, it was recreating scenes with sort of dolls and toys, and that's got an octopus uh attack scene and it. it's an octopus i think in the the viewmaster version that's much gory. i love that so that was the kind of memorabilia that kept the spark going but it was really more movies that i wanted and pickings were pretty slim it was a few years later that i instantly fell in love with warlords of atlantis those of you out there who've never enjoyed the delights of warlords of atlantis hunt it down And check it out. I was more than willing to overlook any flaws in that movie based on this wonderful stop-motion octopus uh, that it features at the beginning, fairly close to the beginning and again at the end. I tried but failed to find somewhere showing Tentacoli after hearing it luridly described by my uncle. But I was delighted when that self-same uncle, who was uh, genre writer Tim Stout, who had a, a novel, a horror novel, a couple of anthologies of short stories, published in the 70s and early 80s. He's got, I found a few people still sort of talk about his work with affection online, so he's still got a little bit of a following out there. But um, my uncle Tim pointed me in the direction of It Came From Beneath the Sea, which was on ITV one Sunday lunchtime, and I loved that. That was another one that left images in my head, particularly the the lone tentacle emerging from the water uh, in a sort of dark scene taking place on the ship and is unnoticed by the, the men standing on the ship. Stuff like that just stayed with me, and the stuff on the Golden Gate Bridge, obviously. Um, but as the years went by, the arrival of VHS and video meant that I was suddenly, I was actually able to compile my very favourite mollusky moments on one dog-eared cassette. And so I'd pl- sit watching movies with planned records set to pause, ready for the brief arrival of an octopus or a squid in countless movies like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, where I felt that such an appearance would be inevitable. I had no way of checking. You know, this is pre-internet. I just used to sit, being ready to record in case an octopus turned up in something like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. My interest broadened, my taste became more varied, and the root of why I grew to love cinema in the first place always remained. This kind of brings us round to what I mentioned at the beginning was going to be the focus of this little section, which is the octopus scene from The Goonies. Because I was 11 years old when pre-publicity started up for the big Spielberg produced Christmas movie that year, which was The Goonies. And by that point, I was devouring any information about the film that I could lay my hands on. I used to obsessively collect bubblegum cards just to collect, to catch glimpses of scenes that, from movies that hadn't come out yet. I used to read novelizations that were released before movies launched. So actually any twist in any family or children's based movie from the 70s or 80s, was first revealed to me through either a novelisation or a comic strip adaptation. There's no way. You know, people talk about when Empire Strikes Back came out. How amazing that must have been to be sitting in a cinema as a kid and have the, no, I am your father, Luke. But as far as I'm concerned, any kid worth their salt would have already read the comic adaptation and probably already read the novelisation. I'd certainly already experienced the I am your father thing. And also, as a kid, just as a slight sidebar, I just assumed Darth Vader was lying. People people kind of look at that and go, that must have been such an amazing twist. But I might have thought it was an amazing twist if it had been like uh, Ben Kenobi telling Luke Skywalker that Darth Vader was his father or something like that. But because he goes, I am your father and it's Darth, I just went, yeah, but he's lying. He's the bad guy. Why is there any reason to believe it? So I kind of shrugged it off anyway. I've sidetracked, haven't I, from talking about octopuses, which must have come as some kind of happy delight for a few of you, but anyway, uh, let's back paddle. So I'm, I'm reading novelizations, I'm reading uh, comic book adaptations, all this sort of thing, and so I read the novelization of Goonies prior to Goonies actually coming out in the cinema, and on the first page of that novelization, the inside leaf, you know where they'll sometimes have like a flash forward, like a, a little teaser from a scene later on in it, and the one on the novelization of the Goonies, that teaser bit of text from later in the novel, was a description of an octopus attacking the kids in a flooded cavern with a pirate ship floating in the background. And I can still remember exactly where I was standing in WH Smith when I picked up this novelization, opened it, and that first leaf, that first page was a description of an octopus attack, um, which just blew my mind. So I went and bought the novelization and read it. Over and over and over and over again and for the next couple of weeks any pocket money that I got went exclusively on Goonies bubblegum cards. So relatively early in my quest I got an index card and I noticed that cards 43 and 44 were listed as Tentacles of Death and the Rockin' Octopus. And so these became my grail. I basically kept buying Goonies bubblegum cards just hoping for Tentacles of Death and the Rockin' Octopus. Uh, And eventually I got both cards, but tentacles of death was actually a split image. There were two pictures on one card two smaller pictures uh, And so I couldn't really make out the detail. I sort of squinted I squinted I even used a magnifying glass But then I got the rocking octopus and the rocking octopus bubblegum card from the Goonies in case you haven't seen it because you've lived a life with different priorities to mine it shows the head of the octopus in the middle of the cavern Absolutely took my breath away when I opened the packet I bought I went and bought the soundtrack album the soundtrack album had the uh, the Hesitate to use the word dreadful, but there's a song called eight arms to hold you written by the goon squad on it And it's possibly not the greatest song you'll ever hear But I knew that that was going to be the song that scored the scene even though in the novelization uh, It's burning down the house by talking heads, which is a weird choice for a scene that takes place in the water, but the novelization clearly states that Data's uh, Walkman is playing Burn It Down. See, I do know this in way too much detail, don't I? I really, really do. Never mind, go with it. Um, So anyway, the time goes by, I've got, uh, there was an official magazine as well, uh, the official Goonies magazine. In fact, I think that one started to set slight alarm bells off with me, because the bit about the octopus scene in the Goonies uh, official magazine, was very small, it's there, there's a couple of photos, but it's like, oh yeah, and they're attacked by an octopus. And I thought, surely this is the big set piece, this is the big finale, this is hugely important. Um, but I can remember in being in the queue to go and see the Goonies a couple of weeks later, and I knew virtually every scene by this point from the various things that I'd read and the various ways that I'd prepared. So I was definitely hyper, and I was definitely up for seeing some octopus action. I can remember that sitting, watching it, and knowing exactly what was going to happen. And much like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea many years before, my impatience to get to the tentacle stuff stopped me from enjoying the movie fully. Because I knew that when 20 minutes or so from the end, when the kids splashed down into the cavern with the pirate ship, I knew that at any moment, Steph would start accusing Mouth of groping her underwater, not realising that it was a tentacle brushing against her leg. Except she didn't. And the kids got on board the pirate ship without incident. And I did a double take. I simply did not understand. I watched the rest of the movie in a kind of daze. Wondering where my octopus had gone. Um, I wondered whether the projectionist. In the cinema had committed. Some kind of awful act of. Scene removal. It just didn't calculate. Because then in the final scene on the beach. When the policeman asked the kids about their adventure. And Data goes. The giant octopus was pretty bad. Very scary. And. And nobody in the cinema stood up and went, what giant octopus? Which, you know, I feel they should have done. I thought at that point, surely that's when people rebel. If the octopus has been removed and then someone actually mentions the octopus, I was absolutely outraged. And I felt almost sort of close to tears the first time I I saw it. And I immediately arranged to go and see the movie again in a different cinema, hoping that somehow it would become apparent that there'd been a mix-up at the initial screening and that they'd missed a reel because back then you couldn't look stuff up on the internet and if you're an 11 year old trying to make sense of why the scene that was the main reason that you were so excited about going to see this film that you've already seen stills from so you know that it exists and it's just not in the film, there's no real way to to make sense of it. So um, I went to see it again and I went to see it a third time. Again, just trying different cinemas, different sort of times genuinely every time, keeping my fingers crossed that maybe this time I'd see an octopus. And it finally became apparent that all prints were mollusk free. And so I wrote to Warner Brothers and I demanded that the scene be reinstated or for them to send me a copy, whichever one was easier. Now, a couple of years beforehand, I'd written to Warner Brothers uh, to express my anger at Gremlins getting a 15 when I'd been very, very much looking forward to see it. And I got a very apologetic letter back, complete with the Gremlins soundtrack album on vinyl. Which made me kind of think, wow, okay, complaining to Warner Brothers is is pretty good shit. Compa- complaining to Warner Brothers can actually generate cool stuff. So I thought, I must do this again. And then when there was no Octopus in Goonies, I thought, ideal. They will presumably send me a copy of The Missing Scene... Because they weren't expecting a complaint from an Essex-based 11-year-old. But that didn't happen. They actually didn't reply. So I started getting any magazines that might be able to explain the situation. Uh, And then eventually, one week, I spent the majority of that week's pocket money on an imported issue of Cinefix. And it had a couple of photos of the octopus scene. And a very vague explanation of why it was removed. In which the word unrealistic was cruelly banded around. So that was it. I was left with this feeling of, okay, they've, they've sort of taken this out. Um, and then in the mid-90s, during between the Goonies release and the mid-90s, I'd considered various way-out plans as to how I was actually going to get to see any of this footage, which actually included applying for a job at Berman Studios, who were the company who made The Octopus, and, and, and asking for a copy of their showreel. I found myself dreaming about the scene a lot when I was a kid and that's actually never stopped, which is kind of weird. It's like some part of my subconscious is still rooted in the Goonies octopus scene and even though now I've seen it, spoiler alert for the rest of this bit, but obviously I've seen it nowadays, I still dream about seeing like Extended versions of making awesome stuff. What the hell? Honestly, it's mad. Anyway, it took 13 years before I finally got to see the octopus scene in any form whatsoever and one day in the late 90s a grainy video clip turned up on a Goonies fan site. I was quite an early adopter on the internet so I was already on kind of message boards and stuff like that before the idea of transporting video across the internet was really plausible and during my time on those message boards it had become apparent that Americans claimed to have seen it this was a thing that I became very aware of there were Americans out there who I was suddenly able to communicate with thanks to the joys of the internet and some of these Americans remembered seeing the octopus scene which completely threw me but it gradually became apparent that the Disney Channel had at least once maybe more times screened a version that reincorporated the octopus scene to make up for the fact that it had lost that they would cut out some other bits to make it more family friendly. So when people started talking about it uh, the octopus scene on the internet there were a bunch of people who went yeah I've already seen it and I started thinking well maybe someone's taped it this would have been VHS at the time and then at some point in the late 90s someone who had taped it presumably digitized it now video quality of uh, a size that could be transported across the internet was not great at the end of the 90s I can remember sitting for many hours waiting to download the first trailer for the Phantom Menace uh, like postage stamp sized footage and the Goonies octopus scene was much the same it was very small, very, very low resolution, but I got it. One evening, I sat down and I watched this little square on my screen and I heard data shout giant sushi and and this weird music sting of dan dan dun, which I really hadn't expected. I'd expected the octopus scene to be treated more seriously than it was, despite everything I knew about it, despite the fact I knew it ended with the octopus break dancing and all this sort of stuff. I expected it to be taken more seriously and I can remember sitting and watching this little grainy postage postage stamp size thing and just not being able to process it. I just sort of, I watched it again and I watched it again and I maybe watched it a couple of dozen times. Wasn't able to work out how I felt about that experience. Wasn't able to tell whether I enjoyed watching the octopus scene. Um because it was it was just sort of overwhelming. There's this psychological theory, which I'll probably go on about uh, again in a later podcast if I talk seriously about screenwriting, because it sometimes applies to heroes' journeys and things like that in screenwriting. Uh, Jacques Lacan had this idea of something called the object petit, which is something that people search for, convinced that if they find it, it will complete them as human beings and return them to this kind of blissful state that they were in as babies, before they realised that they were a separate entity from their mother and the rest of the universe. Sorry if you can hear a meow in the background; that is my cat George. Uh, he's 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 grieving. We lost Buffy, who was uh, our other cat, and George grieves by walking into rooms and loudly announcing his presence. But anyway, that object petit the Jacques Lacan's theory of the object petit. It's possible that the octopus scene was my object petit, and. Lacan's theory is that you can never obtain your objet petit art because if you get close to achieving this thing that you think will make you uh, complete as a human being you will have changed your definition of what that thing is before you actually get to it but I got to it I got to the Goonies octopus scene and it clearly just sort of melted my brain a little bit Um, it took me a long time to ever see it on a decent sized screen which would have been on the final kind of nowadays inevitable special edition DVD release you know any lost material doesn't stay lost nowadays that's that's just the kind of nature of it um even yeah even down to things like the Snyder cut and stuff like that obviously people get to see things in the end but that wasn't the way up before the 90s lost scenes stayed lost but yet by the time you get to the the Special edition DVD. I finally got to see it on a proper screen and it probably took me about another three years after that to come to terms with a simple dark truth which is that the octopus scene is crap. I Mean some of you this won't be a spoiler for many of you many of you may already be aware of this But I wager that not many of you had spent 14 years of your life emotionally invested in it um, The octopus scene is crap. It doesn't work. It's badly executed it has no logical place in the movie and it has no payoff it changes the parameters of the adventure uh, which other than that are relatively real world I mean you know there's a pirate ship and stuff but the it's the most fantastical element and it's the worst executed uh, and the flick works better without it but saying that I'm saying that now as a 46 year old screenwriter And the 11 year old in my heart still cannot live with that simple truth. So when it came time to show my kids the Goonies, I I was also aware of the fact that uh, they were a bit young to see some of the kind of content in that movie. Uh, Some of the stuff with the corpse was a little bit strong, I felt, for for kids quite as young as mine were at the time. So I cut out some of the corpse shenanigans uh, and I stuck the octopus back in. So when my kids saw the Goonies for the first time, it had the Octopus there. They grew up with a version that has the Octopus in it. And I feel that I did the right thing there. (laughs) In some small way, I fought back against the way the universe is. And I turned it a little bit more into the way I want it. But it's just not the same. Uh... Just having my own version I want that to be the accepted canonical version so we need an extended version of the Goonies we need to start a campaign for an extended version of the Goonies and they can also maybe reinstate in the opening sequence the opening car chasey sequence there there's not I don't know if people are aware of this there is another lost sequence involving two gorillas stealing a car which How mental does that sound? But yes, there is a sequence of two gorillas stealing a car. You can find photos of that online. So again, it's one of these things, kind of like the octopus scene, that you go, that can't be right. And then you look at these photos and you go, well, they are gorillas (laughs) driving a car. Um, And yeah, so they can put the gorillas driving the car back in. They can put the leeches sequence back in. Oh, you see, I wonder about that as well. Any other Goonies deleted scenes obsessives, there's uh, in the, you know, the the wishing well sequence with Troy's bucket. Um, initially after they send Andy's jacket up the Wish and Well, Andy and Steph take the Goonies Oath and to actually become Goonies. That is how one differentiates between one, whether one is a fully fledged Goonie or not. Uh, and I think the Goonies Oath was on the back of the, uh, official magazine and it goes something like this. I will never betray my Goondock friends. We'll stick together till the whole world ends. Through heaven and hell and nuclear war. Good pals like us will stick like tar. Uh, oh, I, in, the in the something in the something and the something and the boonies. I now declare myself one of the goonies. It's something like that. But anyway in this scene uh, uh, apparently. Because the details of this one are sketchy as hell as well. And I'm, I'm partly relying on memories from the novelisation. But again this is one where I've seen a couple of photos of it. I think Andy takes the oath. And at the point she's about to say, Goonies, someone else else shouts leech. And the kids find out that they're all covered in leeches in the wishing well. This, uh, they get over this because Data electrifies the water and all the leeches fall off. And then Steph makes a really weird comment about the electricity in the puddle having made her feel all funny and saying that she's in love with a pond. So there's a number of points about the leeches scene. Number one is (laughs) that it teaches kids how to pass electric currents through water while all their friends are standing in it, which in terms of messages for movies to impart is possibly not the greatest. The second one is the, the sort of implication that people can get physical pleasure by running electricity through water, which again, in terms of messages you're sending impressionable adolescents going, okay? well, have you tried running a current into the water? is not really, again, a, a great message. So that might be why... I don't know I'm just I'm just I'm just guessing here that might be why the leeches scene has remained lost Whereas the octopus scene you can find the octopus scene on, on YouTube I bet a load of you anybody who's listening to this who hasn't yet seen the octopus scene I know I know you'll have snuck off to YouTube to check out the cephalopody goodness by now because that's what you like Isn't it but um, but the leeches scene has remained lost so my campaign from this point onwards is that we need a version of the Goonies That has the octopus back in it, that has the gorilla stealing a car back in it, that has the leeches scene back in it. And once we've got that wonderful creation, then, then, then we can move our attention towards sticking the rubber version of the suicide squid back into Red Dwarf. There is a postscript to my rant, which is that I think in the years... ...since, uh, particularly since the DVD came out actually, the reputation of the Goonies Octopus scene appears to have grown... ...as in it seems to have increased its cultural significance, which is a bit mad considering how long ago it was. And it's possible that I've even found a group of people more obsessed with the Goonies Octopus scene than me which would be the development team of the video game Lego Dimensions, and specifically the Goonies update for that. If you've ever played Lego Dimensions, it's, it's a fantastic game. It's It's been deleted now. They're not putting out any more updates and stuff for it. But, God, it was a really, really cool game, particularly the individual update packs. So the Gremlins update pack enabled you to wander around a sort of snowy Kingston Falls while the Gremlins music played and so on. And the Goonies one was incredibly good fun. It was a one hour long standalone expansion. Not standalone, you couldn't play it on its own. You needed the base set to play it. But it went through the story of the Goonies. Except the Octopus was given a huge amount of prominence in the Lego Dimension set to the degree where if I'd have been the one pitching it, I would have expected people to tell me I, I was nuts. The, the Octopus isn't just like one of the major end set pieces in the Goonies Lego Dimensions expansion. It also pops up in a smaller scene earlier. It's continually referenced. It's it's really odd that it's given so much preference, even with sort of in-jokes in the dialogue about the fact that it was a deleted scene. And actually, the same thing happens... My kids were watching an episode of Teen Titans Go, which is a direct Goonies parody, the whole episode. And then that episode has an octopus sequence in it as well with similar kind of asides about you know let us never speak of this when we tell the story kind of thing so it's been a bit weird that at a point where i would expect the goonies octopus to have kind of culturally completely disappeared and for it to be this piece of filmmaking um obscurity that only i cared about it actually seems that as the years have gone by a few more people who cared about it have spoken about it And there are are some additional behind-the-scenes photos, not actually behind-the-scenes photos of it on set. I think um, I must have seen the only ones that are available of that, I guess. But there was an interview with uh, Berman Studios, I can't remember what website it went up on, but that had photos of of the, the octopus being made and things like that that I'd never seen before, and that only went up a couple of years ago. So maybe, maybe we'll see more kind of behind the scenes footage or an extended cut why and why why i care why do i care that it lies at the heart of why we care about film this is a deleted scene from a movie that i saw when i was 11 that i've now seen the deleted scene and i know it's not very good but yet there's something in my subconscious that so associates it with me that if i were to ever see any snippets of Um, further material from it or any other photos from it it creates this sort of palpable sense of connection with the heart of why I'm a film fan and anytime I see anything from the Goonies Octopus scene it's always going to resonate with me more than probably any other type of cinema memorabilia or ephemera which is strange So if there is a movie scene or deleted scene that you love enough that you'd be able to talk about it for half an hour, then let me know. I'm theme on Twitter, so please do follow. You can also visit jinx.co.uk, which is... This podcast is called Jinx. I haven't really talked about this. As it goes on, I'll, I'll probably share a million and one stories about all these various things. But the podcast is called Jinx. The Pat Higgins Film Podcast is what I settled on. I like the idea of just calling it a film podcast, meaning that I can spend half an hour rabbiting on about one deleted scene from one movie, if that's what takes my fancy. I can do interviews with people like we kind of did last week, if that works out. I can talk about screenwriting, I can talk about filmmaking, we can talk about anything. But Jinx, name of the, the podcast, is also the name of my company. Jinx Media is my company. that We've shot a bunch of low-budget movies. We're uh, rolling up for production on Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the boy band of The Screeching Dead at the moment. If you go to jinx.co.uk, you can find various bits about various movies, or pathiggins.me.uk is my current homepage, and that's got stuff about live appearances, although obviously not at the moment. I haven't had any live appearances since January for obvious reasons. Oh, actually, if anybody's listening to this in the future, the obvious reasons are COVID and lockdowns and stuff like that. I'm hoping that there'll be future live appearances and stuff. Once this has passed, but there you go. So, Zedcast theme on Twitter jinx.co.uk for stuff about movies and stuff, pathiggins.me.uk. And yeah, we'll be back here next week on Jinx, the Pat Higgins film podcast. And I don't know what I'll be doing yet. That's the joy of it, isn't it? I can blather on about a movie for half an hour, or I can interview someone, or whatever. I don't know, but there'll be something and it will be here. I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. A blinder, play a blinder. Don't forget to tip your waitress. My name's Pat Higgins and my conscience is clear.